Hey friends, May is Feminist Frequency's 12th birthday. Can you believe it? 12 years of feminist media criticism of working to end abuse in the games industry. So if you want to keep us going for another 12 years, please consider donating today. You can visit feministfrequency.com for more info. He must know everything about her because to know everything about her gives him power over her and power over the relationship. It was never going to be two-way, even if she did have access. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and I'm joined today by two women who don't need chips in their brains to be fully connected (laughs) to each other. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. What up, Carolyn Pettit? Hey, hey. And Ebony Adams, do you two have something to tell me about your relationship? I just Yeah, what I have to tell you is that if Carolyn actually had to see through my eyes and was had access to my thoughts, she would be even more and justifiably suspicious of me. <laughs> I feel like it'd be really boring. Sorry, Ebony. Um, yeah, oh. it probably would be, but the times that weren't boring would be horrifying. Sure. The cooking would be worth it though. Hey, can I get in on this? Can we be a triad? Uh, yeah, but the problem is you might see me cooking, but you wouldn't get to eat it. So that's not. But good, I but right? I don't like smells, apparently. So. All right, Byron. <laughs> All right. This week we're talking about Made for Love, an HBO Max original series that presents a darkly comic tale of technology invading every aspect of our lives. Stick around. Hello, friends. Hello. Hi. We just bantered. We bantered too early. There's never, it's, that there's was, no such thing as too much bants. That was just such a good intro, Carolyn. More Thank bants, you. more bants. All right. What do you want to bant about? Um, I don't know, but I do want to say that we should offer a uh, content warning for talk of suicide, potentially, in uh, the main today. Okay. I might bring it up, so just be aware of that. Good thinking, buddy. We're so, <laughs> Thanks, buddy. We're so bad about it. We always have to do it retroactively. Thanks, champ. Um, my voice might sound terrible because I'm, I've been sick. I'm better now, but I, my throat is a little fucked up. So, you know, that's my content warning. I did not mm. mean, sorry. I did not mean to like denigrate or, or, or ridicule content warnings by saying that. Too late. I know. Too late. Fuck. Mm. Do you have a content warning, Carolyn? <laughs> I don't. I wish I did. I Severe emotional energy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you want to just talk about this fucking show? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I like it. I didn't mean it that way. I meant it in the oh, whatever. All right. Did you did you like the show? I did. I mean, I know we're gonna get into it. Okay, good. Because I was so worried. Were you? I was because I was like, oh man, I have a feeling Anita's not gonna like this, what? and I'm gonna feel bad for. I feel like you know suggesting. I feel like the show is kind of made for me. Well, that's kind of what I thought, but then I was like, you know, I second guess myself. Anyways, let's get into it. I started Deliver watching it. Before, uh-huh. like, I started watching it just because it popped up on HBO, and I was like, "Ah, interesting." And then uh, I realized we were talking about it on the show, and was like, "Oh, well, that worked out really well." Oh, cool, 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 cool. All right, so here's our little blurb about what we're talking about, in case you haven't been following. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, in the past twenty years or so, technology has, I think, we can all agree, radically transformed how so many of us live our lives. But are all these modern advancements empowering us or limiting us? For Hazel Green Gogol, played by Kristen Milioti and Made for Love, the answer is obvious. But then, Hazel has a more intimate relationship with technology than most of us. 
Her husband, Byron Gogol, is seen by the world as one of its leading tech visionaries. In reality, he's a controlling, deeply insecure narcissist whose latest venture, called Made for Love, would allow couples to know every thought and desire their partner experiences. He's even taken the liberty of implanting Hazel with the Made for Love chip without her consent. As the show begins, she makes her escape from Byron's compound where she's effectively been a prisoner for the past 10 years, while flashbacks fill us in on the history of her relationship with Byron and the events that drove her to break free. Made for Love is a humorous yet unsettling look at the kind of tech bro arrogance that thinks it knows what's best for humanity without ever really understanding what makes us human. And the episode's done. <laughs> all right. I know. That's a, that's a, said that it was all. such a good intro. You said it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Ebony, why, did, why don't you start? Because I'm curious why you were worried I wouldn't like it. Well, okay. So I saw the blurb for it on HBO Max. And also, can I just say, HBO Max is offering up some great shows right now. Mm. And I'm not just talking about the great pottery throwdown, but... Carol and I have been bonding over Mayor of Easttown. Mm. Y'all get into it. So I saw the, um, you know, like the thumbnail picture for Made for Love and just the little blurb that's like, you know, um, blah, blah, a woman, you know, has to escape from her husband who's trying to implode a, you know, controlling surveillance chip in her or whatever. And I was like, whoa, gender, relationships, technology sounds like something we should talk about on the podcast. But I wasn't actually expecting to like it because... From the blurb, I gathered that it was a, a black comedy, but I was like, to me, this this log line reads like it should be straight up horror, you know? Like, I don't, I was afraid that the show wasn't going to, like, sufficiently villainize Byron Gogol, uh, Hazel's husband. Um, and and it, it does, although I think there's a redemption arc that we can talk about that I'm not really on board for. My understanding of the show before I watched it was what this woman has experienced is violation and abuse. Mm. And I didn't want there to be like fun poked at that. So I was I was afraid going into it. But I do think the show actually is quite smart um, about the ways that it, you know, tackles um, a lot of these issues. I do think it's, you know, sort of inconsistent sometimes in, in, you know, where like its pointed barbs are are actually, you know, aiming. Um, but for the most part, I thought it was pretty smart. And I really do think that although it could have been even more pointed, some of the critiques of capitalism in it are pretty savvy, you know, and I'm not talking about just like, you know, the graffiti on the walls, you know, that you occasionally see in whatever, like, you know, two horseshit town um, Hazel is from. But there's a scene in the, I think it's the the season finale um, where, you know, Byron is talking about like, you know, he's he's in this diner, he's left the hub and he's saying, look at, you know, all of these people, you know, this guy, he's probably has to leave because there might be like a plumbing issue um, he's got to deal with. And that woman, she probably walked here because her car's in the shop, in the hub, in this world we've created, there's none of those inconveniences. And Hazel's like, you realize you're just talking about what poor people have to deal with, right? <laughs> And I was like, yes, exactly. You know, like if that statement hadn't been made, because that's exactly what I was thinking. Like you're talking about first world problems. You're talking about the ways that like, you know, wealthy people, people with privilege are able to insulate themselves against the things that poor people um, are unable to avoid. Yeah. And taking that one step further, too, is that, um, you know, this is obviously a a sort of extremist story in a lot of ways. But but, you know, Byron is trying to control every single aspect of his life. And 
really, the more money you have, the more you can do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, like, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that there's a not insignificant portion of the audience who is watching what Byron has created and thinking, what's wrong with this? This sounds great. <laughs> yeah. You know, like for real, like sincerely thinking like, well, I want my, mo- I want my world moderated and curated for me. I don't want there to be any rough edges. I want everything to be hand selected for my comfort and ease. And I am willing to give up so much of my own autonomy and personal freedom for that luxury. And it's horrifying to know that, you know, even at moments there, there were times when I was like, you know what, I, I would like to travel to X, Y, and Z places, but in the rest of the time I have on this earth, I'm not going to get there. If there was a VR cube that actually looked, would I take that option instead? Probably. I mean, yeah, but I, I think, you know, I think what you're right about, like how some viewers probably like would see the appeal in what Byron does or like, or, you know, like the sort of, I don't know. I am. It's hard for me to like, imagine Elon Musk stands for instance, not seeing what Byron does and feeling like, well, you know, but he's, he's like earned it. Like he earns the right. Mm-hmm. to like, like it's his, his, you know, he's a billionaire. He's like, because he has the vision and he's like the one who like has the ideas that make all the, money or whatever but i mean i think what's in i think technology i think this technology is obviously in in some ways it's really central to the show and i think the way that it that that byron is very specific a very specific and i think to a lot of us familiar type of just tech bro um is is fascinating but i think there's also a way in which like the technology is just a device a storytelling device to explore in, I think, a really accurate and effective and, you know, often unsettling way, like a particular fairly commonplace type of relationship um, Mm -hmm. with a, with, you know, a, with a narcissistic, controlling, like deeply insecure man. Right. Right. And like so many women, you know, experience, I think, uh, a kind of abuse that is very similar to what Hazel experiences in this show and then and there's like a kind of gaslighting element to it as well because like you know like there's that moment in this series where for instance she hazel is trying to explain what she's been through to this lawyer guy and Mm -hmm. he's like laughing and saying like sign me up you know or whatever like sounds pretty good to me honey whatever and and but like laughing off her abuse but what she experienced absolutely was and is abuse right like that kind of so yeah i don't know i just i feel like um it's it's really um very insightful about about just like the that particular type of relationship dynamic right with a man who can like who like provides for you, et cetera, like, or whatever, like creates a quote unquote nice life for you. But you know, you have to like, you're expected to literally give up everything and that including, you know, your, fr- like your friends, right? I mean, the way, yes, the way your family mm-hmm. cuts her off from like her friends and her family and her whole other, she has no other support network, no other meaningful connections of any kind, really like all of that to me is very like, it rings very true, right? It's so, it's very common. Yeah, yeah. The way that he has regimented her life for her under the guise of offering her choice 
and taking care of her. So she has alarms that remind her that it's her nap time, um, which immediately then feed into, you know, this executive assistant, uh, Bennett, I think, who comes in and asks her, would you like these kinds of wine glasses? Or, you know, later once um, uh, Hazel has made her escape and Byron is, you know, attempting to lure her back into the hub by creating uh, recreating something for her that she says she has missed from the real world, which is smells. He's going to create a VR smell cube, you know? Um, you know, then Bennett comes to her and offers her these little glass vials of, of her set smells, you know, to see which one she likes. But ultimately, yes, all of it is guided by Byron's deep insecurity and narcissism, as you say, Carol. But it just reminds me of the ways that, you know, we, um, the, the kind of like, optimal the optimization of like health and wellness um and the industry surrounding that that has arisen you know um eating flavor cubes only you know not being inefficient with the amount of uh, sleep you get so everything has to be optimized everything has to be planned out and regimented and there's an illusion of choice there but really um the choice is imposed on you from without and you know as you said anita yeah there's this idea that someone like elon musk or you know bill gates or byron gogol you know by virtue of having made so much money, have somehow um, ascended to a position in which they can dictate the choices of others. And for so many of us, we are willing to cede our independence and our freedom to these people. Like there's this deep belief that, you know, you've made billions of dollars. That must mean that you're smarter than I am. And so I should trust you with some of these incredibly personal, intimate choices. And it's horrifying it's ludicrous you know um and the series plays with that but i think it also does you know suggest like what what are you willing to give up to have the latest phone or to have you know a smart house or to you know um be the perfect weight and you know have a perfect work-life balance whatever that means yeah i love a story that like can show authentically abusive relationships and emotionally abusive relationships i've probably talked about this a million times um, and so I was I was pleasantly surprised at how they were able to take this comedy and make it, you know, sincere and really like show ways that abuse manifests mm. and how you get stuck in it, mm -hmm. even if it is, you know, uh, you know, you know, a little a little extreme for for comedy's sake to, you know, not super extreme to actually to some degree, but it's like black mm -hmm. mirror type. Right. Um, and. Carolyn, what you were talking about in terms of like alienating you from everyone you love and everyone in your life. Um, I was thinking about that in terms of the fact that like in the show. Um, oh, my gosh. What is what is the name of Kristen's character? Hazel. Yeah. Thank Hazel. Um, Hazel at one point says to her father, like, you wonder why I just married a guy mm. I just met. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, look at this. Look at how you yeah. treat me. Look at this life. Yeah, She says but, girls with crap fathers run away with narcissists. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I will also add, you know, I, I just want to say that, like, one thing about the way that abusive relationships work is regardless of how connected you are to your friends or family, which mm -hmm. it sounded like Hazel wasn't. But even if she was or someone is the the way that abusive people operate is to isolate you, right? So the the manifestation of the hub and the manifestation of like that isolation doesn't just come when people aren't connected to the world, right? That's am I is that making sense? I just yeah. I just think that that's an interesting mm -hmm. 
an, an interesting observation that like obviously it made sense in this world and for Hazel, but like that is such a it's a prime directive of abusive uh, men specifically, but abusive behavior in general. And Byron is so I think I, I believe that Byron, like a lot of narcissists and like, I believe he actually believes that he is a good guy. Like I think. Oh, yeah. And so he does this thing sometimes where where there are like a few points in the series, I think, where like he cries and like, but it, and it's surf, you know, and it but it's not like true sensitivity or vulnerability. It's it's like manipulative kind of it's like crying I don't know how to explain it exactly, but it's 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 a crying, I think, born. It seems to me anyway, born out of like a desire, like a belief, first of all, that his his emotions and his inner experience is the only one that matters at all. And like, you know, and also, you know, the desire to kind of to control other people. I mean, I think there's also like a moment where at one point he says something like something like I'm going to kill myself, you know, it, it and it, which is like so like classic kind of right. manipulator, you know, uh, uh, language, right? As a way of like, you know, if you leave me, I'm going to I'm going to hurt myself or I'm going to kill myself kind of thing. So I don't know. I, I, I just like Byron to me is so I mean, he's awful, like just so awful. But I'm fascinated by the the the, the complexity of his awfulness in this series. And, and I should know, I loved so many of the performances yeah. in this show. Um, Ray Romano as Hazel's dad yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. And I I love the way this show offers him as a counterpoint to Byron because Ray Romano's dad, and this is not a spoiler by any means. You see this in the um in the first episode. He has a sex doll, um, uh, an intimate partner, a synthetic, synthetic partner. Companion. That's right. He has a, synthetic, he has a synthetic companion, synthetic companion named, named Diane, mm-hmm. um, who he has his version of a relationship with. And this ultimately represents a another kind of extreme of the like, you know, um, the projection of his desires, his masculine desires on what is like the plus ultra, you know, finally, like the feminine version, like the receptacle of everything he wants in a relationship without an ability to offer argument, to choose to do something else, to leave, you know? Um, He wants ultimately the same thing Byron wants. Byron has just done it in a more socially acceptable way. Yeah, I, I found the sex doll metaphor interesting because um, it's so overt. <laughs> like, yeah, it is so aggressively obvious what's happening there. Um, but also, like, it works. <laughs> you know, like I don't know. I, at first, I was kind of like, "Oh fuck!" Like, I don't know how this is gonna go. Or what this is gonna be like? And you know, like the way that Hazel interacts with her over time changes and and shifts. Um, like our our sort of acceptance of Diane. Um, you know, like we start to accept it more in a way that I, it makes me yeah. a little uncomfortable. Well, and we but- learn a little bit more about why his character, you know, maybe uh, fearful of at that point yeah. in his life with I close mean, connections just- with, 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 you know, an actual yeah. woman, you know. Yeah. But at the same time. Oh yeah. No. It's fucking creepy as shit. And oh, yeah. it's about like these women that you can control and totally. don't talk back and, you know, like all of that. Um, And so, yeah, I, I just, I found that. I- yeah. D- disturbing, but in a way that I'm like, oh yeah, duh, like that makes sense. I want to. I, I wanted to talk about one particular scene involving uh, his care that character too. Um, just on a on a on a kind of personal note for for me, like um, 
So what's his, does anyone remember what his character's name is? Um, Herbert. Herbert, of course. Oh my God, you say that and it's like, of course, how could I have forgotten? (laughs) Um, But so Herbert, there's a scene where he goes to a restaurant with Diane and, you know, and and Hazel like goes ahead and is like, you know, tells the like wait staff, like, just please, you know, pretend she's real. Like, you know, Hazel is like trying to give her dad like this, you know, like a chance at a at a quasi normal like experience. And I will say. And we may get a lot of angry letters from the synthetic companion community for me saying this. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think having a synthetic companion is, quote unquote, valid. Like, I don't think it's like, you know, a substitute like I. But but like, you know, take you can find sh- her at Carolyn Michelle. Yeah. On Twitter. <laughs> right. Um, but not, still having said that. Like, so there's a scene where they're at the, he, he and Diane are at this table at the restaurant and this waiter comes out and the waiter gives like a kind of nervous, like a laugh, like, you know, a bit of like, are you kidding me? But, and then does this like, you know, asks, you know, what's, you know, what, what can I get you? And, you know, what is she having? But it's clear that the waiter is like humoring Herbert in a way. And I don't know. I just felt like these, I, I, I so often feel in the world. Like as somebody who's all either like so often just misgendered straight up or, you know, even when people don't misgender me so often, I can tell that they are just like, you know, in their minds, like humoring me like they, you know, mm. or like like doing a kind of performance of like of like seeing me as a woman and like seeing me as as, you know, yeah, like as a woman, like I know that's feeling that's so well and it's like it's awful and it's like an awful way of having to like experience the world all the time. And so I did feel this like pang of sympathy in a way for Herbert in that of like in that moment of like just that, that, that awareness of like, you know, no, nobody really buys into what you're doing here, Herbert, like kind of thing. Um, anyway, I, it was this weird feeling for me. Cause I'm like, I'm not like on board with what you're doing at all and yet <laughs> and yet like i but i feel i i feel some sympathy for you in this in this moment and i felt a lot of sympathy for his character for all kinds of reasons throughout the yeah. series and i think ray romano is great at playing like functionally depressed you know <laughs> sad sack yeah yeah sad yeah. sack in I, this series yeah i like i never want to like ray romano because he seems like such a fucking douchebag <laughs> and like his show was garbage <laughs> and whatever yeah. but he was so good in this yeah he was yeah like he really, he, he yeah. really was. And I mean, really, when I say the performances, like um, Byron is reprehensible, but Billy is, is his name Billy Magnuson, the actor. Yeah. I found him so funny. I found him so incredibly funny. Um, and Kristen, Kristen Milioti is great. The guy who plays Bennett is great. Like there are just these, you know, um, you know, characters who appear for small bits, you know, these side characters, these, Mm. you know, and they just people the world with, like, I found the show incredibly hilarious um, to to watch, you know, and I just think like tonally it worked for me um, pretty much, you know, start to finish. I mean, it's only, I think, eight episodes uh, or something, but no, it's eight. But it, they're but they're half. They're like breezy half hour episodes. Yeah, so they, it goes I by clearly it. stopped taking notes after episode six. <laughs> I will. I will say that I messed up somehow. I think like um, my HBO Max app 
stuttered or something. And so it jumped ahead. I thought I was going to be watching episode four and it went to episode eight instead. And I didn't realize until like half an hour into it, there's a way in which each episode, even though there's a, there's a, you know, serialized aspect to it and there's a through line of the narrative, there's still something so self-contained about each episode. And so like the, the questions that I had and the kind of like weirdness of it was of a piece and it made total sense to me that like there would be a new character that I wouldn't have known and I just thought oh you know it will be explained to me later you know that this is someone from the hub or this is actually a flashback that I didn't catch um I just I think this I haven't read the book that this is uh based on it's based on a book called uh, Made for Love by Alyssa Nutting but I'm interested to go read it now um and and see because it's just I think it is incredibly hard sometimes to translate something from um, the written word to the screen, but I enjoyed watching. I love the look of this show. The fake ads for Google products were absolutely perfect aesthetically, you know, like the font choice, the ways, you know, the like, you know, 21st century colors of Benetton bullshit, you know, of the ads. I just thought it was really smartly put together. Yeah, one of the things, um, so Fiffany is uh, one of the scientists that works on Made for Love. I, I She's probably um, like a biologist or she works with animals. Um, and there's a whole storyline about her husband coming in, but then they never like explain who her husband is or why he would want the tech. Like that just kind of mm-hmm. dropped away. I thought that was weird. Or, um, or it may it may be more of a thing in season two. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Or like, they filmed it and cut those scenes because mm. they just sure. didn't fit or whatever, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the tech if we can yeah, yeah, yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the idea of the made for love product is that you are in sync with each other. So like the way that um, Byron explained it is that they will become a singular living God. <laughs> oh my God. Like, those wedding vows. Yeah. And um, the, um, the the idea is that you're so in sync that you'll never fight because you'll fully truly understand each other because you're in each other's brains, right? And uh, it also kind of got me thinking about uh, there's a show on Netflix that I can't remember the name of, and I only watched the pilot, and it was so bad I didn't continue watching it. But it's about um, this company that like finds you your soulmate, mm. right? That like of all the people in the mm. world, you do like a DNA test, and then you find the one true person, and so at least in the pilot. So obviously the company is nefarious, but in the pilot, there's all this stuff around like people who didn't find their partners through this app. Um, like they're like, are are you going to do it? Are you going to like leave me? Are you going to like, who's, who's going to be a part of this and who isn't? Because like, if this is the truth, then what are we? Mm. And it just reminded me of this larger theme of like love and relationships and how do you know, and how do you make it work? And like the, yeah. the, um, Technologizing the technophiling, the techno. <laughs> Keep going. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Of of companionship, right? Um, is you know like a you know a few steps above online dating or whatever. So so, anyways, I just thought that's interesting. I think that that's like this is a theming. Like love is obviously a constant theme that humans talk about forever. But the idea of like using technology to fix it. Um, or to sol- solve it as if it's something to be solved, I think is really interesting. In this case, it's fascinating to me because, like, so what happens is so far, Byron announces this technology before they finalized it. And it works 
one directional. But as soon as you you sync two people together, the original person dies. And so Byron put the chip inside of Hazel's head without her knowing it. That's the whole thing. The whole, like, one of the big conceits of the whole show. Um, so to me, I'm like, if, as the abuser, like, why would Byron want to see, like, want to share his internal thinking? Like, who the fuck would want to do that? And would this uh, yeah. even be appealing? But I, I do kind of love that they undermine that by being like, well, I'm just going to, like, I'm just going to turn it on and she's going to die and she's going to live in my brain and I can control her virtually, right? Like, he just, it didn't really matter at a certain point where he was just like, it was always about having ultimate control over yeah, uh, over her. Uh, I mean, I, I, for me, the idea of like as, as impractical and yeah, as it seems or like or like the, the idea that nobody most people would be like, well, I don't you know, I don't want that. I think it, it it's believable in because of Byron's arrogance and his like I, his belief that like, well, all my ideas are like the best ideas. And like uh, and he's because he fully he obviously just fundamentally doesn't understand how how healthy human relationships actually work at all or, or what it means to really know another person. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I agree. I mean, I, I but it, it, yeah, I, I but I think he's, you know, as you pointed out before, Carol, like he actually thinks about himself as the good guy. So I yeah. don't think it would occur to Byron that there would be anything that he actually needed to hide um, you know, for the most part. And I think he's also arrogant enough to believe that if there were things that should be secret, that he would be able to keep those from her in a way that she would be completely open and transparent to him. He needs to know everything about her from the beginning. Like even if um, the made for love was perfectly operational two way, you know, I think the the whole point for him is to give him more access to Hazel, he demand. I mean, there's this hilarious scene. Like the show opens with, um, well, after the Shawshank Redemption, you know, crawl through the sewer <laughs> tube. Um, the, it, it opens with uh, Byron performing Cunnilingus on um, Hazel, and I have to admit, I was like, right on. I love when shows actually show, you know, uh, folks getting oral sex, like not blowjobs. Anyway. Um, you know, then after that, you know, you, you sort of forget that that happens, but Hazel isn't even allowed to move on from that. Like <laughs> there are pop-ups on every bit of smart tech in the home that 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 she rate the orgasm and not just like, oh, I had a great time, you know, eight out of 10 or whatever, but like, what was your mood? You know, did you, what was the foreplay? Like, like breaking it down into like essentially a, a spreadsheet of, you know, of feelings and experiences. He must know everything about her because to know everything about her gives him power over her and power over the relationship. It was never going to be two way, even if she did have access to his interior monologue. But I also do think he, the, the insecurity he feels about her reactions is fundamentally about him being convinced that if she just knew how much he loved her, mm. she would then acquiesce to giving herself more fully to yeah. him and it is a classic kind of you know abusers understanding yeah you know and it is it is a, it is a, exactly that because it's not about actually knowing a person because like like i was thinking if somebody like you know if i had a partner who like had some technology in my brain that allowed them to like read my thoughts or whatever it would be it's like a you know messy contradictory incoherent like buzzing that would not like in any way help them really like understand me better as a person. But, you know, 
it, I mean, it's it's not like that's not where that's you know that's just not that's that's not how you know a person or understand a person. Like we all. I don't know. It's just, it's yeah, so, like we're, none of us is, yeah, none of us is the sum of what the algorithms say we're interested in. We don't like, you know, it, or, like you can't, we're like fleeting, re- you can't reduce people to, and, yeah, you know, yeah, you can't reduce people to equations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another thing around the way that they portrayed the abusive relationship that I thought was really smart is that when Hazel went out into the world, people didn't believe that she didn't have access to a phone. Like they didn't yeah. believe that she couldn't just mm-hmm. call them or visit them when she's like, I literally was stuck here. And they're like, nah, that's not true. You were living the laps of luxury. You were like, you know, living with the richest man in the world. Da, 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 da. And um, I think that there is there was something um, so honest about that, I guess. I'm not sure what the word is I'm looking for, but that like, yeah, people people don't they have all these perceptions about what other people's lives are like. Right. And and not, not to be like, Oh, we should feel bad for rich people or whatever. But like, she wasn't like, she was in an abusive relationship. She was trapped in this place. And like, nobody wanted to take her seriously, like the lawyer or like her friend or her dad or whatever. Right. Everyone just kind of gave up on her. Um, Like how fucking tragic, (laughs) you know, like I just, how tragic. And I think about her, you know, Byron found her, selling knockoff phones that weren't even real um, to make it like a quick buck. And it's kind of like he, he tamed a beast, right? He like tamed and controlled this, like this, like free spirit, this like wild figure and, and turned her into this extremely docile, perfect woman for him. Um, And, you know, yeah, without giving her the opportunity, like without giving her any time to actually step back and think like, oh, no, I, I don't want to date this guy. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be this person like they literally go on one date and get married. You know, like it happens deliberately how so many quickly people in your life. Don't like you, you know, like it, it, it's little steps that get you to that point. Right. Like it is completely believable to me that she would be stuck in the hub. That like, you know, at first it was like, well, hon, why would you want to go anywhere? I can do this. She's like, yeah, you're right. You know, and like over time, there's just more and more like there's more and more friction set up to make it harder for her to leave to the point where she's like, holy shit, I didn't realize I bought into this and now I'm stuck. Right. Like it was all fabricated on his part. And I I don't know. I thought the whole the whole concept was really interesting to me and I thought done really well. I fucking the you were talking about the production design like there's so many pieces of this set design and production design that were beautiful and like the wedding rings as handcuffs yeah <laughs> that shit yeah had me dying like when i finally realized what it was i was like holy shit that's genius it's so fucking good like it was it was so good right like it reminded me of the good place um you know this kind of like you know upscale like sort of um you know Scandinavian kind of designed, you know, like the fabric hues have been chosen, like opt everything has been optimized, you know? And this is why like it makes me laugh so hard that Byron hates smells, or as it said in an earlier episode, like he just he doesn't believe in smell as a sense, <laughs> you know? And there's that funny scene where once he's agreed to put together a smell cube for for Hazel, he's, you know, taste or he's testing the different smells. And the one he likes best is the smell of empty glass. Like it was perfect. <laughs> It was it was absolutely perfect. I wish I had had the time to go back and watch Ex Machina after watching this again because I think like it's such 
a, it would have been a great like doubleheader. Oh, you I know? didn't like that movie. Just these villainous tech bros. The worst. Um, I I would be curious. I I don't know. I don't. This hasn't been billed as a limited run, so there could be a second season. I would actually, and and I don't know if they'll go this direction, but um, one thing I forgot to mention is that I I'm I'm curious how the writers and creators of this show would perceive the public reacting to Made for Love. Like I'd be curious mm. what because we don't see any of that, right? We just see that the investors, um, the board members, are really excited about it. But like I'm I'm curious how in their this sort of dystopian vision, people would be like. Okay, cool. Let's do that. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. In the in the, I don't know that it's has it been. Do we know that it's been made public? You know, beyond the the board, the inner circle. In no, in I don't show? think we know that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe that's what the next season's about. Yeah, I do think. I mean, um, the ending. I mean, I I do hope there's a second season, but I think the ending that we do get does work as a kind of gut punch type ending of uh, like of like you know about byron's power and influence you know if we don't if we don't get a a second a second season okay uh, so spoilers for the ending whatever you know that we spoil everything Mm. um they take her dad unbeknownst to him into the hub because he has cancer and is dying and won't get treatment. And so, like, there's a whole host of shit happening here that's really troubling. Like, how is he going to get medical treatment when they don't, like, are they going to knock him out to, like, do medical treatment on him? I like, mean, how those would he questions get for Byron are, are as, you know, are immature. Useless. Like he, but yeah. the other thing is that if they do, you know, quote unquote, cure his cancer, then does he continue to live? in the hub not knowing that he's in the hub and I like mean, they could what, whisk him back out potentially uh, but yeah i don't know i don't know That's, i just i don't know either but i feel like the, it doesn't the matter world of this show like, yeah it's, it's it's like it's like this exaggerated hyper reality yeah, yeah, right exactly. in a lot of ways so some of the you know like logical holes are inconsistencies which i don't mind I, I, at all yeah i'm not I, I i'm not hung ask. up on them i'm just making conversation <laughs> what, what, I, love I, love, I love it but i loved that scene i love when she walks out and looks up at the sky yeah. and it's it's like pixelated and she's like you need to fix that and like mm-hmm. it, she's saying it in this way where she's almost like taking control and then she holds it then they like hold hands and you're like no she's got no fucking control here yeah. and mm-hmm. and the whole arrangement allows byron to maintain his own narrative about him right. himself being like benevolent like i'm so yes. good like i'm the good one here i'm doing all of this you know i mean he has infinite money it doesn't it's not like any kind of like imposition or hardship it's totally about controlling her and yet he can think of himself as like you know as like the best guy on on the mm-hmm. planet yeah you know bill gates donates a couple million dollars uh, and isn't he wonderful and well speaking of i wanted to mention this interesting bit of synchronicity in a in a way right now as we are recording this on twitter just like an hour ago bill gates announced that he and his wife melinda gates are splitting up after 27 years um so Was she i saw that in the hub <laughs> shit probably i saw something and i don't know that this is accurate so someone check this for me i will also try and check but they were saying that you know bill gates is part of that what is the the warren buffett club where it's like the billionaires promising to give away their money 
Oh, um, like the bulk of their wealth or whatever, whatever this billionaire boys club is. Uh-huh. So uh, Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates are are part of this um, this initiative, right? But someone pointed out that Bill Gates is actually worth more now than he was when he, you know, ostensibly started giving oh, away yeah. his fortune. And it just gives the lie to the notion that like the philanthropy of a handful of uber wealthy people will ever, you know, serve to dismantle the structures that put them in place right. or will actually, you know, address inequality, you know, like it's just a slap in the face. The idea that we should be looking to people like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or fucking Elon cave diving Musk, you know, for the solution to any of society's problems. You don't think going to Mars is going to solve all our problems, Ebony? You know what? Let me go to Mars and let the rest of y'all figure it out back here on Earth. That is a solution I can get on board with. By yourself? Yeah. You and your cat? Listen, hook me up with a hub, Anita. <laughs> Would you go? If you, Girl. Here, okay, you, let's end this. Yes. If you two could have a not possessive, right? Like this isn't a controlling possessive relationship. But if you could mm. be in the hub of your making. Mm. But never leave. Would you do it? No. And I'm by myself. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, look. It doesn't matter if you bring five people with you, right? That's fine. Like, like you know, like there's that re- for me that really revealing scene where where Hazel wants to go to the concert, the War Paint concert, right? <gasps> oh and, God, that episode. And Byron is like, sure, of course, like of course we can go, we can go, and, mm-hmm. but. Rather than actually going to the club in L.A. or wherever, you know, and being in the crowd, you know, with other people and experiencing the energy of the show, he just Mm -hmm. brings war paint into the hub and they're in this this like fake club like room, this vast empty chamber. And it's just the two of them. And it's like, no, dude, the whole fucking point is to like be in the world and to be to experience other people in all of their like. Mm -hmm sweatiness and like rudeness and like inconvenience and annoyance and all of that shit like that. Yeah, but that's a Byron thing because when they went to the restaurant in in Italy, like there are other people that are not real. So like you right. can he could have create he just didn't want to. But like you right, could but in your hub, you yeah, can but, create a world where that concert is full of stinky, smelly, sweaty. Right. People. But they're not. It's yeah. But it, I mean, if I as long as I knew they weren't re- it's like a holodeck thing. I mean, I guess like a holodeck mm. can be fun to experience certain things like whatever. <laughs> have you had a lot of experience with the I mean, holodeck. No, but I mean, <laughs> as an imaginative leap, right, as an yeah, imaginative leap. But but you always know that it's. That there are limits and that it's not authentic human experience that you're getting. Ebony, what's your answer? You remember how I said that there would probably be some people who have watched this show and have to ask themselves, <laughs> do I want to, how much are Sot's luxury would I like? I'm telling you, I, I mean, no. Mm. Do you hear the disappointment in my mm-hmm. voice as I say no to the hub? But I would, I would think about it, y'all. I, I'm not going to lie. I would think about it. <laughs> yeah. So I agree. Yeah. I, 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 I'm with Ebony on this where it's like, no, but let's, no. can we just mm-hmm. think about it for a quick second? <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, if I had a friend who was in the hub and I could occasionally, you know, hang out at the hub and then they'd be like, oh, you should just stay, whatever. I would definitely take long holidays in the hub. No, nope, that's and not then the probably question. Never leave. No long holidays. Okay. All or nothing. Bam. Okay. Oh, damn. Okay. All right. Y'all let us know. If you would go live in the hub, (laughs) we'll be right back. 
really quick, I wanted to remind you all that the Games and Online Harassment Hotline is here for you, for your friends and your colleagues. We provide emotional support to folks who make or play games, which is such a broad range of people. So, you know, you might not need it today, but maybe you need it tomorrow. So we just want you to know about it. You can learn more at gameshotline.org. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Carolyn. Yo. What yeah. do you got? Well, you know, Ebony actually mentioned it uh, briefly earlier uh, in the show. Among other fine offerings on HBO Max is a series currently three episodes in called Mayor of Easttown. And is that uh, the one with the Titanic chick? Oh, my God. Kate Winslet. Yeah, Kate yes. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? I know. She, I, didn't, she is I, a, didn't, I don't actually mean that, everybody. She is I know a Kate formidable is actor and and. She is a she is one of the big reasons to watch this series. I mean, it is a great performance, you know, not not just because her accent is so um, terrific, but her accent is terrific. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so this is a it is a you know, she is a a murder cop. Right. She is. a, um, And, you know, and, and of course, I do. Ha- I always have some conflicted feelings about enjoying media that is about, you know, about about police officers. Um, but um, like so this is a series that's set in like a like a, a small but Pennsylvania community. And what is fascinating to me about this show is first of all it's like it's because it's a close-knit community right as as she is investigating the 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 central murder of the of the series you know everyone involved or potentially involved so far seems to be like you know oh it's it's her cousin or like her best friend's Mm -hmm. cousin or her cousin's best friend or you know whatever like but you know you really get that 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 feeling of the all the personalities in the community you you even characters who are who get a fairly um small amount of screen time feel like wholly you know developed kind of uh people right Comp- complicated you know interesting people with their own you know well developed personalities and their own like lives and relationships and everything um, so, you know, which I, which I just love. Um, I mean, her character is, you know, also fascinating because, um, she is, uh, deeply flawed to put it mildly, mm-hmm. um, in, so it's air, new episodes come out every Sunday and in the episode that came out last night, she does something truly heinous. I mean, like something like truly fucked up um, to another person, but, but, and this is not to excuse it, but like it, it, the act comes out of her own like grief because she is um, her, she is raising her grandson um, and her, her son uh, has died. Um, And so she has all this, like her own personal history and tragedy. And she's trying to like, I think, in her own mind, maybe like make amends for maybe mistakes she made when raising her own son or, you know, we're, I mean, she's, the show is kind of slowly peeling back the layers of, of who she is. And, but Kate Winslet just gives her, her so much depth. Um, and 
yeah, it's I mean, it's one of those shows that because her her police captain who knows what she did comes in is like, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to like totally fire you or destroy you for what you for this awful thing you did. But you need to, like, take these steps because I know you're worth saving. That's that's one of his, his line is I know you're worth saving because and, you know. And I love that. And I'm like, well, yes, I mean, she is worth saving. She does deserve a, a chance to make things better if she puts in the work. But, you know, who in who in media, who in real life, as we've kind of discussed before, who gets those like second or third or fourth chances who, you know, after they fuck up and or do wrong or, you know, whatever. Um, obviously, those questions are are present here. But anyway, um yeah, just uh, uh, anyway, it's really um, for, you know, for for me and for Ebony anyway, I think the show is kind of like catnip. It's um, yep. it's, it's, it's so good. And um, and the the central crime is, you know, tragic and horrifying and and but all, you know, and it's but it seems like it's building up to be quite a twisty mystery, um, which, you know, is fun even as it's tragic. So anyway, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. Uh, Mayor of Easttown it's, is it's, what I'm into uh, these days. It's so good. It reminds me of Happy Valley, which might be my absolute favorite um, procedural mm. um, out there. Same, like similar sort of uh, conceits to begin with, you know, like a, a woman, deeply flawed woman dealing with grief, um, raising her grandchild because her young child um, has has died, the parent. Um, and one of the things that has struck me watching this show, and I realize this is an, an obvious observation, but it, I had never really um, thought about it much before, is that it is one of the things that appeals to me about Mayor of Easttown, shows like Happy Valley, other shows like it, is that it offers us a really lived in authentic is a tricky word here, mm-hmm. um, but certainly authentic feeling yeah. um, representation of working class yes. life. Yes, and yes. It, it 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 makes me angry and sad that the place that we find those characters so often are in crime shows. Mm. You know, and we should really sit with why that is, um, but. But man, I mean, just the the texture of like the decor of some of the houses, mm-hmm. um, like of Mare's friends or family, you know, the clothes they wear, what counts as like being dressed up, you know, um, the kinds of foods they eat, the way they eat. Like it's just it's got such depth to it and three dimensionality. It really does. Um, and and I, I am just really, really enjoying it. And yeah, you know, as Carol said, like. mayor is complicated and she is not she's far from perfect and there are times you want to shake her there's um this great scene in episode two where she is interrogating or you know about to interrogate a suspect um for the the main crime of the show and it's this other young girl who i i think is a teenager i don't know that she's 18 yet um so i don't know that she can really even legally be there Without her parents, but Mayor is continuing to try and provoke her into revealing something. And the girl, to her credit, even though she's a complete shit, is like lawyer, 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 you know? And Mayor keeps pushing her. And, you know, I'm just like, 
the the um the way that we as a viewer are supposed to watch this is that yes we want her to provoke a reaction out of this girl who is a shit who's a bitch you know who might be responsible for you know um this this young girl's death <laughs> but there's also you know the a cab part of me who's like yeah, yeah. like lawyer up yeah. immediately like mayor this is not how you are you know sp- are supposed to conduct yourself right. in an interrogation room like you are in the wrong here even if you are convinced that this suspect had something to do with the crime you are behaving unethically here you know and the show gives us space for that so yeah i'm liking the show i'm loving it cool did is you have a freak else? out of yeah. your own? <laughs> like, no no i had a one um, I was I was going to freak out not about the show, but about the fact that we keep returning to this fetid well. So I watched Without Remorse, which is the new Tom Clancy adaptation oh, wow. on Amazon Prime. It's got Michael Yo, B. Jordan. Okay, hold on. Before you continue. Yeah. Yes. I keep seeing ads for this shit and y'all know Michael B. Jordan is my husband. <laughs> right. Well, I tried to talk him out of this shit. Good. And you should have tried harder. Like, you should have tried harder. Like, literally, it's, my heart was broken seeing him in a Tom Clancy fucking movie show. Whatever. I I, I love Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, you do. I will say you officiated our not, wedding. Remember? <laughs> yeah, when I fully supported y'all getting together. I do not think he was right for this role. But then I don't care about this role, this story. Um. So like. Tom, you know what you're going to get when it's Tom Clancy. You know, it's not Jack Ryan, but it's the same sort of character. Like, it's this very, like, you know, jingoistic, pro-America, you know, bullshit, right? You know, but you have a film like The Hunt for Red October, which at least has, the, you know, the cojones, the, you know, to to actually deliver some some decent writing and some sophistication and some, you know, compelling performances. But this was just tired, it was just tired. And so much of it just felt like, you know, a slog to get through. There are occasional um, moments of like, you know, really propulsive action scenes. But the thing that I'm freaking out about is that why do we keep <laughs> doing these movies? I don't I, I want the CIA to not exist, but I certainly don't need to see them on our screens anymore. And no, it is not enough for a film or a TV show to suggest that the problem at the CIA or at the State Department or at the FBI is a few bad apples, but the institution as a whole absolutely is something that's necessary. I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. I just would like to say that you both just freaked out for a very long time about a cop show. So I'm just going to like put that out there. Anita, I am well acquainted with my hypocrisies. <laughs> I contain multitudes. It's true. But no, do. I just, but uh, so I will say, Anita, this this film, not worth watching unless you watch it with the sound off. There is some delicious eye candy of your husband, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, I but see him every you know day. what? It's fine. Okay, well, then good. <laughs> no need to worry about this. So I was so sad yeah. to, to see that. I didn't watch it, obviously. Um, and also, it does, it commits. To be honest, the cardinal sin for me, Jodie Turner-Smith is in this, one of the most beautiful human beings ever to walk this planet. She is a an exquisite, dark-skinned black woman. If they found a light to so you could actually see her on screen, it would have been great. But for a full two-thirds of the movie, she's just dark against the screen. You know, Shut it up. is a crime. It is a crime how black people are poorly lit. They do, so many people just do not give a shit. 
you know, and it is possible if you do not know how to light um, people of varying skin tones in, in one shot, you don't know how to light that, that should be part of your training, you know? Um, it's so, yeah. Anyway, cut, cut that out and put it all over the internet, please. Exactly. <laughs> um, I don't have a freak out, but I am freaking out about how fucking trash Malcolm and Marie is. That's all I'm going to say. Trash. Don't watch it. Don't ever bring it up. It's the Girl, worst. Girl, you so late. What? I said, you so late. We had th- this cultural conversation. I know. Whatever. Okay. Okay. That's it. That's my whole thing. People have already talked about how trash it is. I suffered through it, and I needed to get that <laughs> out. I mean, they right? should watch, though, the, that one TikTok about yes. about Malcolm and Marie's neighbor, right? Where the yes. neighbor is like, <laughs> oh my God, so good. Says, I love Ken. this line. Because so, I haven't even seen Malcolm and Marie, but it, the one line from the TikTok is something like, it's, you know, it, he's still out there hollering, <laughs> hollering about Barry yep. Jenkins. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, and anyway, it's perfect. That's so good. All right. Mm. Well, I watched 5,000 movies. So join us in the bonus episode where Ooh. I give you deep dives into the 5,000 movies I watched this week. Thanks for listening. Everybody. Yeah, thanks for listening, Next everyone. Week, yeah. We'll be tackling the topic. Oh. We'll do another topic episode of fame and fandom. Um, and thanks for all your feedback on the left reading um, episode we did. I know y'all like when we do topics. So here you go. I'm not going to promise that we'll do more, but we're doing one next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that should be a easy right. one. Yeah, I'll be good. Our show is engineered by Rob Perra. Carrie Stimson provides technical support artwork by Jamie Varon. And our intro music is by Phil Circus. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.